0: Hello, and welcome to the TBG Real Estate Podcast, where we connect you with some of the most innovative and exciting real estate leaders today. We will show you that there are numerous paths to a successful career in the real estate industry, and that some of your greatest missteps can be turned into your greatest triumphs. Without further ado, here's the head of TBG Real Estate, Chris Papa. All right,
1: folks, welcome to this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris Papa. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. Iman Novin. Iman is the president of Novin Development Corp based out of Walnut Creek, California in the Bay area. How are you doing, Iman? Doing well, Chris. Great to connect with you. You too. How are things in, uh, in Walnut Creek? We're doing well. Um, you know,
0: there's definitely a lot of, uh, uh, social distancing and, um, you know, changes to the day-to-day life. Uh, Walnut Creek has a lot of nice retail. And um, as a member of the chamber board, we've been working closely with all, a lot of these restaurants who have been hit hard um, and uh, thinking about creative solutions like outdoor dining and temporary places where they can still serve customers properly social distance with masks and that sort of thing. And felt like we were really opening up for a while, but then the numbers started spiking. And so I think everyone's sort of expecting that we're going back on lockdown, no more indoor dining. Um, we've also seen a little bit more in terms of like the social unrest and some protests folding out, which um, has been interesting, but, um,
1: uh, protested about, not about doing more, going back on lockdown.
0: No, I think, I feel like, um, just more in terms of um, social justice issues. We've seen some of that. Um, But um, all all things good. Things are good. Things are moving in the right direction. I think for affordable housing, we're seeing that we're all really busy. It's it's, um, the need is greater than it's ever been. And um, folks are trying to get more housing built as fast as possible, especially to help um, deal with some of this COVID stuff and, um, get homelessness, um, sort of taken care of. And, um, so from that perspective, we're actually on the work side, um, pretty busy.
1: Good transition. Why don't you tell everyone what Novin Development Corp is?
0: Yeah. So Novin Development Corp is a family owned company. We are an experienced sponsor and builder of large multifamily mixed use communities with a double bottom line mission. Uh, We strive for a balanced approach that centers around social responsibility, sustainability. Um, I I truly believe in increasing the supply of housing to a broad spectrum of incomes um, using the latest uh, sustainable building materials methods. Um, And we try to design our buildings to be um, aesthetically appealing, functional, um, and good neighbors and in, in, in harmony with the communities that they serve. And so that's the philosophy that, um, we hold here at Noven development.
1: And so are you, where, where are your properties? Um, we currently own and
0: manage about uh, 170 units, um, and 80,000 square feet of commercial real estate, um, including like mixed use, uh, between San Francisco and Santa Cruz. Um, we've got 300 units in our pipeline, um, And it spans from Richmond to Hayward to um, San Francisco, um, all around the Bay Area currently.
1: And then you you guys are doing ground-up development, rehab? Um, A
0: bit of both. Um, We are um, working on some ground-up development in Santa Cruz right now um, and in Hayward. um, And we have an ACK rehab opportunity that we're looking at in um, Alameda. And so, um, a combination, and it's, it's also a combination of, um, affordable housing and mixed income or workforce housing. And so we're sort of, um, we like to look at opportunities, um, from multiple perspectives and sort of decide what is the greatest need and what's the best fit.
1: And are you doing like tax credit stuff too? Is it? you yeah.
0: yeah. Um, for some of our deals, we're focused on tax credits. We um, try to use the 4% tax credit, um, as much as possible on, on projects. Um, and, um, we're really big on, um, trying to reduce the cost of, uh, housing, trying to use innovation in, uh, construction, which I truly believe is going to help reduce the cost of housing over time, um, uh, to, to rely less on public subsidy. I truly believe that, um, to meet the policy goals and to meet the demand of affordable housing across the street, we're going to have to start to look towards more market driven solutions to affordable housing. And that's part of the reason why I started Noven development. Um, I saw an opportunity for um, the marketplace to provide more housing towards the missing middle. um, And, um, and I mean, missing middle as both um, from an income standpoint um, who you're serving and what income ranges you're serving, but also in terms of diversity of housing design, and you know we're seeing a lot of um, the same um, dense multifamily box buildings going up, and not as much variety in housing type two and three story walkups and non podium buildings on um, larger lots. And so I think um, from that perspective, that's that's the type of housing we're, we're focused on is workforce and affordable housing, utilizing both traditional tax credit structures, but also um, trying to push the envelope on um, how do we make these deals work with as little subsidy as possible.
1: And what are some of the things, like what kind of materials are you doing, like um, prefab and all that kind of stuff? What, what Can you go into that a little more?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so um, we've looked at everything from panelized systems to prefabricated components to um, fully modularized and both steel modular and wood modular and um are are really weighing all of the options on our current pipeline Um, and it's interesting because there's there's uh, risks and challenges to uh, different approaches and we really want to make sure that we're letting the um uh, cost savings and the feasibility drive our decision-making. It's not about just doing modular for the sake of doing modular. Um, it's about being able to see um, real costs and time savings. And so we're spending a good amount of time to really understand that and um, uh, make the decision. In coastal communities, for example, modular construction is is really great. It's a great approach. In, in snow communities, it's a great approach. Um, um, there's also sort of the factor of like how far are you from the factory itself and how much distance do you have? And is your site um, orientation good enough for um, the staging that may be necessary? And then, you know, are there any other big jobs in front of you in that factory that might tie up your project? So there's a lot of decisions that go into it, but I do really believe this is the wave of the future and we're uh, that technology A combination of technology and changes in policy are going to drive housing costs down both in terms of you know how you can build and how you can use technology to build um, less expensively um, but also in terms of cutting down the red tape and the timelines that it takes to get projects approved and so i think through those two things we're going to see a a large increase in the amount of housing production Um, we're we're hoping to be on the front line of some of that
1: That's awesome and then I, I mean, yeah, you got to have a place to produce the the stuff, right? Um, are there a lot of f- factories out there or, or um, production facilities? If you're looking for prefab stuff, I know it's one thing to want to do it, but like, where do you? Where are these places that are doing it?
0: Yeah, there's there's a, a number of them, and um, we're we, we're talking to to um, a good deal of them to to really understand. Um, Uh, what the best fit might be for our projects. But um, there's Factory OS out in Meyer Island. Um, I believe you've had uh, some of them on in the past, and they're doing some great work um, with uh, uh, unionized uh, labor. Um, There's um, uh, Autoval out in Boise, Idaho, that is volumetric modular that's using automated robotic arms. Huh. similar to like a uh, car assembly line yeah. uh, to, to, again, um, streamline the, the production. And so there's a number of approaches out there. Um, panelized, I think Katero was looking at panelized systems for a while. Um, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff. And, and I think it's encouraging to me at least to see this innovation because we've seen projects snowball to 700,000 per unit, 800,000 per unit um, in certain markets. And it's just, um, it's, 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 it's insane. Shouldn't be the case.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Are you, is that you're doing it? Uh, yeah. I guess I am hearing more firms doing Are you think bigger shops are getting involved with that too?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it is. I mean, I think, um, back, uh, I, I've had the privilege of working at two great nonprofit organizations before I started my company, Novin Development. I, I was, a uh, uh, Young project manager at Bridge Housing and uh, a director of acquisitions at Midpen Housing, and both you know stellar organizations and a great place to learn affordable housing development. They were very innovative, and from before modular was popular and, and accepted, um, we had looked at those approaches and um, studied them carefully and, and tested them out on a number of projects just to see: are we really getting those savings? Are we really getting those benefits? Um, and so. Um, um, it's it is encouraging to see more and more um, utilization of these of these innovative approaches. Uh, but but I also really believe that that's not going to be enough. There's policy and zoning and land use changes that really need to come hand in hand with with this um, new way of building buildings.
1: Now you're in affordable housing. You spent most of your career in affordable housing. Uh, why don't you take us back in the time machine to? growing up where, where did you grow up Did you grow up in northern california yeah i grew up in um scotts valley california okay cool it, was there really, any sort of uh afford like where did this passion come from anything in your childhood that took place or where did this interest in real estate and then in affordable housing come from
0: sure um yeah i mean uh, um my um family story is uh um American dream immigrant story. My parents immigrated here from Iran after the revolution and started with really nothing. Um, uh, we, uh, settled roots in Scotts Valley and, um, lived in a one bedroom house. Um, all, uh, uh, uh three of us, my sister wasn't born yet. Uh, oh, well, four, four, of us and then, uh, an older brother. Um, and then eventually five of us. And then, um, my dad built our first house in Scotts Valley on this, uh, uh, property he purchased. And, um, from a young age, I was around construction. I remember taking the scrap wood, um, from the construction site of the house that we were building and sort of building my own mini, mini houses. And, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I think that f- from some regards it does go that far back, but, um, I, you know, I did see how having a, a new house that we built really, um, created stability for us. And it was the first time I got my own, you know, own bedroom. And, um, and then um, later in life, um, you know, it was really driven by my, my policy interests and research. I I went to UC San Diego and um, I double majored in structural engineering and urban planning and had the opportunity to work at great companies like Kaiser Marston associates uh, doing feasibility analysis and helping, the city and county of San Diego set RDA redevelopment affordable housing income limits. And that was sort of my primer into the industry. And then, um, I worked at the redevelopment agency in downtown San Diego as an intern nice. um, for a while. And, um, again, sort of got a glimpse into the policy side of public private partnership. So by the time I was done with school, I knew that I wanted to do something in real estate development for sure. And I, um, was, um, very interested in affordable housing. Actually, I think I wrote my thesis on how do we get uh, the market to uh, uh, participate in the provision of affordable housing? And I think um, to this day, uh, now I'm getting to actually work on that sort of project. <laughs> and, and so it's um, a great foundation that I built, built at San Diego.
1: That's awesome. And you studied en- structural engineering there, I, saw, I see, and urban studies and planning. Do you think that engineering background played a, a big role in your career
0: yeah I mean, structural engineering was a hard major it was um, yeah you didn't
1: pick you didn't you, you had to actually work
0: yeah that was a tough you know differential equations and getting into like finite anal- element analysis and it was to a certain extent it was overkill for um what i'm doing i, I think an architectural background um paired with urban planning or um finance um may have been more helpful but um the structural engineering definitely teaches you how to think analytically and that became uh you know made it so that i could pick up pro formas really easily and can do you know complicated financial analysis really easily um and so that that definitely played a role in me being being able to like um you know be an analyst for many years and then you know also um Understand the big picture. I think urban planning helps you understand the big picture um, where um, you know that, that helps you become a well rounded project manager.
1: And then you started in the public sector, right? At a school. Do you think that would play to? Was that, is that something you would? Has that helped you kind of understand the whole process?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think working for CCDC, which is the Center City Development Corporation now called Civic San Diego, they were the um, public um, nonprofit arm um, uh, for the San Diego Redevelopment Agency implementing downtown revitalization efforts. And um, it was fascinating to sort of be on the public side of a public-private partnership and um, see Large developers like BOSA Development out of Canada come in and propose these major redevelopment efforts in downtown around Petco Park. And then I had the pleasure of working closely with um, their affordable housing team at the redevelopment agency on issuing requests for proposals to developers um, for large um, high rise affordable housing opportunities in San Diego. And so, again, yeah, that was, uh, I thought, a, a really great experience. And I encourage a lot of people to to do internships like that while in school, because it really helps you define what you're, uh, that helped me solidify my interest in affordable housing. And um, I I think it was actually one of the redevelopment directors who gave me sage advice. He's, you know, it was 2007, we were heading into a recession. Um, I had job offers from some of the large home builders. um, And, um, you know, I got advice that said, you know, they're laying off and, (laughs) <laughs> you know, in six months, they they may not have this division or department. You might want to consider working for a company like Bridge Housing in San Francisco or mid uh, Midpen Housing. And um, lo and behold, um, um, I found a great fit um, at Bridge Urban Infill Land Development, which was a very innovative group within Bridge that's no longer around, unfortunately, um, or in, in a different function because CalPERS... Um, divested a lot of its investments from smaller partners. But um, this was a CalPERS fund that was inve- uh, uh, investing in catalytic urban development projects like the MacArthur BART Transit Village, like West okay. Oakland train station where um, the market wouldn't come in and pay for all this uh, remediation need or um, uh, infrastructure costs to, to make the site really feasible. And so we were able to deploy CalPERS funding to do that and then create these mixed income communities that had both market rate and affordable. And that was really my passion. And where I wanted to focus was on this intersection between market rate and affordable workforce housing and mixed approaches to creating mixed income. And so that was a great fit.
1: Um, and then you went to mid then you started doing more acquisition work, right, as opposed to project management work. Do you think, did you have to learn a lot to do that or like were you learning that through your project management side too?
0: You learn, you learn some of that through project management, project management, um, is, um, <clears throat> you get to like, like I said, like for project management, you get to work on the construction phase and closings and, um, uh, it, it's a broad scope. And I think, it, again, this is one of the, the beauties of working in affordable housing. Um, while I took a huge pay cut, not going the market rate home builder route, um, I got a chance to work on the entire life cycle of a project while at bridge and Midpen, And so you get to see from start to finish the entire process. Whereas sometimes in these um, larger firms or, or um, uh, market rate companies that are focused on home building, you're the entitlement project manager, or you're the construction project manager um, and don't necessarily get to get to see the whole side. Um, so I, I think um I definitely learned, um, some, some great skills as a project manager, um, as a director of acquisitions, um, that was, a, a, a wonderful learning experience. I think that, um, uh, solidified my real interest in seeing lots of deals. I think the, the main changes as a project manager, you're working on two, three, four, five, maybe deals where you're really, really in the weeds on everything day to day, um, um, and then when you become a director of acquisitions, the focus is more on that early site identification, you hopefully work through enough deals, where you understand some of the pitfalls you might run into on sites, um, at, at which you know, like remediation, or is this zoned properly? And, um, you know, is it in a political district where they support affordable housing. Um, but um you know, at, at the director level, you get to see lots of projects, and and you get to work on that creative early stages of conceptualizing what this could be. Um, is it a family housing serving with a set aside for veterans? Is it mixed income workforce housing that's transit oriented? Is it um, uh, modular? Is it going to be stick built? That's that's a lot of the fun part, and it it sort of forces you to also do all the fu- uh, upfront feasibility and financial analysis, and so. Um, I think I uh, really enjoyed that. And I realized that that's sort of my strong suit is is the uh, deal making side of it.
1: Yeah, I often work with young kids, not kids, young people who come to me and they want this job at like Blackstone or something like that. But I'm like, yeah, if you get, okay, money is important, right? But the first five years of your career or whatever, like, you're not going to look back and be like, oh, I wish I had like 10 grand more a year or 20, even 20 grand more a year, right? Yeah. I mean, it does make, it does make a difference, but like, you know, it's, it's about, if you look at the long term vision, like, you know, when you go into a shop like that and you can learn everything mm-hmm. from start to finish, um, you can do what you did and like go out and start your own firm. Cause you were equipped to, to do that because mm-hmm. you've seen everything. Right. And so, um, for those, there's a lot of people who do want to start their own development firms. Like why, why did you make the, that jump? And, um, what were the benefits and some, maybe some of the pitfalls?
0: Sure. Um, you know, I, I think part of it is just I've always been entrepreneurial. Um, um, when I was in high school, I started my own concert promotion company. <laughs> uh, what was called, that called? It's called uh, Freak Wincy, with F R E A K Q U E N C Y. Oh. Uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> we were um, we were just a bunch of kids in high school who um, created. Um, uh, local, art, invited local artists and um, even some, you know, uh, well-known um, local art. I was into the local R&B scene in Santa Cruz where I grew up. Um, and so, I don't know if you'll remember Digital Underground.
1: Oh, yeah, uh, totally.
0: about yeah, exactly. Or the Humpty Dance. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was, po- that was popular in Santa Cruz. So we oh, yeah,
1: them. yeah, yeah. Oh, you brought, oh, wow.
0: Was about oh, Digital the Underground, yeah, I, I,
1: I said the wrong song. But yeah, Um, the, uh, Humpty Dance, man, that was a big one. That was a huge yeah.
0: one. Yeah. Yeah. So we brought them to the Catalyst Club in Santa Cruz. And so as high school, I was like project managing, you know, these, these pretty robust, you know, shows with, you know, um, hundreds or even in some cases, you know, over a thousand people were attending and, um, coordinating everything from, you know, the security to the band to travel to, you know, uh, equipment and budgets. And so from a young age, I've just always been interested in sort of businesses and starting businesses and, um, part of that, I think, has just grown from watching two parents who came here as immigrants and started a business, and it was a family business, and, and um, uh, that, that's how they made it. And so um, uh, it started then, but I think, again, like after my UCSD time, um, and then really after my, uh, my mid-pen time is when I felt like... Um, um, uh, you know, the, the, I see this opportunity in the marketplace for 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 missing middle housing. For for we're doing a great job of meeting the low income and very low income need. We're doing a a, a pretty good job of meeting the market rate demand of luxury condos and uh, luxury rentals that are five thousand dollars a month. Um, but what about this huge band in the middle that not a lot of people are building for because either the tax credit system caps out or you know the market it's not feasible from a market standpoint and and trying to crack that nut because there's quite a bit of the population that's in that category that just um um isn't being served as well and and you know it's it's both that um the need is going up um with you know more income um disparity as well as population growth um and so uh, you know it's both early in life I've been entrepreneurial and I've always sort of wanted to do my own thing. Um, and, um, I got to a point in my career where I felt like I've, I've had enough experience and I've built a strong enough network, um, that I could, um, jump
1: out and take that leap. It's awesome, man. Congratulations. Yeah. It's a big risk. I mean, a lot of people think about doing that, but a lot of people, you know, most people don't do it. Um, was there something that like, did you have, how was I guess the the hardest part is getting your first deal done. I imagine uh, was it, how did you get that done? What can you talk? Can you talk talk to us about your first deal?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, so uh, we I started out um, I started with sort of three divisions, uh, uh, and we still have three divisions at Nova Development. We have a consulting arm, a brokerage arm, and a joint venture development arm. Um, and so I think my my very first Um, deal or project or anything like that out was really consulting work um i got some great work with enterprise community partners and um working with the great communities collaborative on helping bart identify um uh, how to best utilize its 300 acres of land around its transit stations for housing which sites to prioritize for affordable housing um uh, started to do some more work with um various types of developers, for-profit, non-profit developers, um, helping them creatively think through um, inclusionary housing opportunities that they may be working on. Um, so it was through that that I really started to uh, uh, work with a, a, a large range of people and um, um, from from public agencies to other developers, both non-profit and, and for-profit minded. And, um, and it's great because I, I think that um, to help solve this affordable housing crisis we need to it can't be nonprofit versus for-profit which unfortunately there's too much of um, you know there's there's an o- overwhelming need for all approaches um, to, to solve affordable housing and I, and I really enjoy you know working with um, the um, you know some of the largest equity company you know market rate equity companies Um who don't normally specialize or do affordable housing that are sort of like, well, we have heard that you can get some density bonus or you can streamline your entitlements and, and, um, you know, really being able to help um, these, you know, these larger companies that are tend to be focused more on just like market rate, um, how they might include affordable housing as part of their strategy. And, and I'm seeing a greater appetite for that. Um, so that was part of it. I mean, part of it is just that I, I anticipated, um, and saw that with a lot of the policy changes there's going to be more need and more market rate interest in doing affordable projects. And so we play that role. Um, but then just with nonprofits too, I, I mean, there's, um, so much work out there that, um, um, oftentimes nonprofits will, will work with us with companies like us as a, as a consultant or an extension of their team to help, help, um, um, some of their efforts and so it was from there that consulting work that I eventually was able to to start doing deals and and through that brokerage work too that um, you know you pay the you pay the bills through the consulting and providing a service that's of value to other people uh, and then eventually you start you know getting to a place where you have sustainable revenue and and you can start taking some risks and and that's where we're at where um, you know we've closed on some sites and um we have a pipeline and, and we're starting to work through that pipeline. Um and so um it's it's not an easy transition. Um but um you know it, it is definitely possible and I think that um more and more um you know the, the, on the policy side too, I'm seeing groups like the emerging um uh, leaders network and um all these sort of younger um affordable housing um uh, affordable housing happy hours what it used to be called um, uh, getting together and, and, and encouraging this sort of um, transition because we're gonna need more we're gonna need more people to step up like me to 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 to, to um, pick affordable housing as a career and more so than that um, start their own companies and 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 um, bring their perspective to it because um, there is just so much need um, and it is a hard barrier to entry industry and so i I really like. Some of the changes that TCAC is doing to their regulations to encourage, um, uh, you know, minorities and, and um, others from participating and picking up your gen, uh, GP experience points through joint venturing. There's language being proposed in the tax credit regulations to um, make it possible for um, groups like the Bridges and the Midpens and the Edens of the world and EAHs of the world to joint venture with with um, uh, smaller. Um, uh, and minority-owned businesses um, to, to create that capacity. So it's it's great, and I think there's a lot of precedent and, and um, support for it in the industry. So
1: yeah, that's one of the reasons I started this uh, podcast series is to highlight like, affordable housing careers because I found most people, especially younger people, didn't even know what the heck it entailed. Right. So yeah. Um, anyway, it's awesome, man. Congrats. Now you have a, you are the founder of a firm called ProFormap, right? Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah. And so this is, um, I'm glad you asked, because this is another passion of mine is technology and, and innovation. And, and um, separate from the construction innovation, you've seen this huge um, up swing in prop tech and, um, and affordable housing shouldn't be left out of that. I mean, affordable housing as, as an industry has historically been um, very innovative and willing to try out new things and uh, leading the way on things like solar and modular and whatnot. And so i um, excited to be working on this PropTech startup. Performapp, um is a commercial real estate brokerage technology. Um, we are one of 12 finalists out of 135 applicants for the inaugural Turner Center Housing Lab that's sponsored in part by Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Um, and this is the nation's first ever innovation lab Exclusively focused on reducing the cost of housing, um, and um, we were one of ten companies um, across the U.S. selected into Salesforce's Accelerate um, Build Program Cohort Seven, um, and and it's just been a great learning experience for me. Again, my background has been in development; it's been in um, affordable housing, and um, I had this. Um, Internship, I think I mentioned to you about in, in San Diego doing, mm. um, at the redevelopment agency, I learned geographic information systems, um, and it stuck with me my entire career. Um, and that's a big part of this new technology perform app, um, um, which is a, a, a platform that combines data and mapping technology, um, with brokerage services to simplify and expedite the real estate acquisition process, um, especially for builders focused on affordable housing.
1: That's awesome, man. And so where, what stage are you at now? You're just kind of the startup, like beginning stages.
0: Um, you you know, we, we're bootstrap startup. Yeah. We're not, we're pre VC. Um, but we do have a board of directors. Um, we have a MVP, a working prototype that's being developed as we speak. Um, we're trying to, we're trying to bootstrap and build it out ourselves before, um, Uh, raising um, and um, we but but the system has been operational i've been lucky to be working with a number of great developers affordable housing developers as clients to test out and and um, uh, utilize our proprietary algorithm and data-driven acquisition approach to help them um, find new opportunities that are aligned with local state and federal housing policy um, you know which helps them both compete for limited public funding, um, you know, while implementing um, policies like greenhouse gas reductions and increasing the supply of housing.
1: Affordable housing, getting into property technology. What yes. I never thought the day would come. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, awesome, it's
0: man. It's great. Yeah, we're we're excited about it. To date, we've helped you know clients close on over thirty million in land transactions. So, and, and which has resulted in over three hundred fifty new units of affordable housing. So it's it's tried and true, and we're 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 looking forward to rolling it out um, over the next year or so.
1: Congrats, man! We'll put a link uh, to that in the in the LinkedIn account when we sh- or the LinkedIn post when we post all this. Um, yeah, I'd like gotta check that out. Um, sure. Well, you did a great job in the interview part. But now it gets to be the hard part. Uh oh! Are you ready for the hot seat? All right. Hot Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple of days a week and provides, you know, everything you need from an H- HR perspective for your for your firm. So, it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR functions. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com, k k r e s e t.com. It's very helpful. It. Okay. You sound very excited. Uh, <laughs> Any books you recommend, whether affordable housing, work, life, mindset, whatever you whatever you like. Romance? Um Yeah, I'm actually
0: looking at one book on my desk right now. It's called The Art of Peace. Nice. Um uh, by Morahai Ushiba. Um I recommend that. Um and also I'm a big fan of um, Rumi poetry, Persian Rumi oh, poetry. Yeah. Um <laughs>
1: I have so, a uh, Instagram account and I just post Rumi poetry.
0: No way. Yeah. I didn't Big know fan. that about you. I have to go check it out. So let me, uh, now I have to one up you. I have to give you a quote. I have to give you a quote. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> um, go for it, please
0: make my day. Let yourself be silently drawn by the strange pull of what you really love. It will not lead you astray. Rumi.
1: Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're both doing what we love, so that's good. Um, How about, do you have any podcast recommendations and or television shows? You mean
0: other than TPG
1: podcasts?
0: Obviously. uh, (laughs) I
1: didn't say best looking podcast hosts. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: You know, I actually really like um, Eden's uh, Linda Mandolini's Affordable Housing Podcast. Um, I used to listen to it when I was at the gym. Um, kind of geeky, I guess, but um, great topics like housing job imbalance and interviewing tech CEOs to understand their biggest challenges with retaining good local employees. Um, yeah, great, great material what there. What's the name of it? Um, it's a uh, Affordable Housing Podcast by Linda Mandolini at Eden Housing.
1: Nice, I'm gonna just download that right now. Yeah, um, very cool. I think i should know that one i i work so much in the industry what do you like it, to do outside of work um i love getting up to tahoe to go snowboarding
0: um when there's snow um i i, I volunteer i'm on 2 nonprofit boards um formerly on a, a planning commission and um um in areas of affordable housing um and then uh, spending time with my wife and two-year-old two, two-year-old son armin
1: Oh, two years old. That's very cute. Nope. Uh, yeah. You're not going through like the school thing right now, which I'm going through with my 10 year old. So um, cool. Good stuff. Armin's a great name too. Um, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Have no fear. Yeah. Go for it. Oh, I wish I wasn't. I wish I listened to you. <laughs> 20, you know, 23 years ago. Um, now, this is a recruiting, I am a recruiter, as you know. Um, I'm sure there's some people on here looking for jobs and trying to figure out ways to get jobs. What do you look for when you're hiring people? It's a good question. Um,
0: you know, I think diverse perspectives, uh, definitely a passion for housing, sustainability, the built environment, um, and from both technical, like implementation, project management standpoints, but also high level policy standpoints, um, and then you know someone who's driven yet easygoing, has an easygoing personality. I think having that balance is important.
1: It's a hard balance, man. Yeah, you seem you seem to have it.
0: I'm developing it more and more as I age. I guess <laughs> so I earn my
1: stripes. Awesome. Well, am I Novin? president at Novin Development Corp and founder of Proformap. Thank you for your time. Much
0: appreciated. Thanks, Chris. Much, much appreciated.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. Please visit us online at tbg-realestate.com or on Instagram at tbg.realestate. Until next time, have a great week.